We're in Jonah 1. Um, you know, I wanna, there were a couple of points that um, I made last week that I want to reinforce today, um, or at least kind of build on a little bit today. So one is, I want to start here. Last week, I talked a little bit, and I'll keep returning to this. I talked a little bit about the message of the Book of the Twelve. That's what it's called in the in the Hebrew Old Testament, the Book of the Twelve, which is really our minor prophets. It's the same thing. It's the minor prophets. But it might be, sometimes be helpful to think about it as the Book of the Twelve, as a book, a single book. Because what that'll do is if you think of it as a single book, um, you'll start to see some connections between the various minor prophets. And we're supposed to see those connections. That's really important. So I just want to give you a little taste of that. We're, we're not going to spend too much time on that today, but but I since I introduced it last week, I do want to kind of return to it just a little bit. I'll give you an example. So in the, in the book of the 12, if you were to look at um, the big message of Jonah, or one of the big messages of Jonah, which has to do with this call to repentance that he gives to Nineveh, it's actually a little more complicated than that because he doesn't actually tell the Ninevites to repent. But that's the idea behind it. They do repent um, in response to his preaching, even though he wasn't explicit about that. But if you think about that, that call to repentance, you see, you see that um, in two other places in the, uh, in the book of the Twelve. It's actually not very common. You don't see it too much. But um, you see it in Joel, you see it in Jonah, and then you see it um, at, you, you see that, the fruit of it, I guess you could say, in in two books, Haggai and Zechariah. But you don't really see them call people to repent. But you do see it in Joel, and you do see it in Jonah. And and it's interesting to kind of think how that plays out. Because in, in the other books, in the books that are addressing God's people, when they're called to repent, what you find is they actually don't. And in Jonah... Jonah kind of barely calls the Ninevites to repent, and they do. And then if you kind of track it a little further, what you see is um, later on in the, the book of the Twelve, in, in, in this case in the book of Nahum, we see that that repentance, while it was real and while it was significant, actually was fairly short-lived because in Nahum... Um, he's he's preaching to sort of the next generation, and he includes the Ninevites and basically says you're totally corrupt. So I say all that just to say, if you if you read the whole story of the the twelve, if you read the whole story of the minor prophets, there's there's something that's being taught about the nature of repentance and the nature of responding to preaching, and and the overall thrust of it is that God's people who should have been best situated to respond to gospel preaching, really don't. And these enemies of God, or these enemies of God's people, these perceived enemies of God, um, actually do respond. But even their response has a kind of unhappy ending, because while they respond for one generation, what we see is they immediately return to their wickedness. So, So I just say all that to say, this is just one theme. We could, we could actually look at a number of themes in the book of the Twelve. But on that one theme, what we're, what we're being presented with is this really clear picture by the end of the Bible. 
that that the Lord needs to work and pour out his spirit and intervene both for uh, his own people, the Jewish people, and for Gentiles in order for them to respond in faith. That is, they really, they really need something at the end of the Old Testament. And we talked in Isaiah about how Isaiah sets us up and, and kind of keeps circling back to the fact that they need a Messiah. That anything good that's going to happen is going to come as a result of God's king, God's appointed Messiah. But in, in the minor prophets, they don't touch on that as much. But what they do touch on is that the people do need something. And what, where they go with it is they, they sometimes talk about the Messiah, but not quite as prominently as Isaiah does. But what they talk about over and over again is, is God's people and all people need God's spirit to be poured out upon them. So it's sort of setting you up for what Jesus says and Jesus takes as almost like an obvious statement when he speaks with Nicodemus and he says, unless you're born of the Spirit, you, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And, and remember Jesus in John 3 when he introduces that and Nicodemus doesn't quite get it. Jesus is, is not surprised and that's the wrong word, but he sort of acts surprised. Are you, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? I mean, how is this even possible, Nicodemus? that you read your Old Testament, you teach the Old Testament, and you don't even know that without the Spirit of God, there's no hope of seeing the kingdom. And and the 12, um, and we're going to see it a little bit in Jonah, but particularly if you put Jonah and Nahum together, and then if you put them all together and look at sort of the big theme, really is going to emphasize that. All right, so I wanted to start there just because I introduced it uh, before. But, I, but what I really want to do is pick up in verse uh, 4. Now, just as a reminder, where we are at this point, um, Jonah has been, you know, he's been told to go um, east. He's been told to go to, to Nineveh. And, um, and that's kind of in the area of the Euphrates River, that sort of region, historic enemy of Israel. You know, there's always somebody over there. There's always some kingdom over there that's causing trouble. In this case, it's it's Assyria and Nineveh, the capital city. But um, Jonah's told to go there and preach. He wants to go the opposite direction. He decides to go the opposite direction. He ends up getting on a boat to go to Tarshish. We, we, we don't even know where that is, but you know, most people think it's maybe over in Spain. So it's the exact opposite direction, like as far on the Mediterranean as you could get from where he was supposed to go, which was on land, over to Nineveh. So it's kind of the opposite end of the world. And what, I le- what we left with in verse, um, verse 3 is the fact that it actually, you know, it seems as if, I, I mean, I'm sure Jonah thought this, it seems as if the Lord actually is providing for him to, to try to escape. Um, and, and one of the applications that I drew out of this at the end of our time, and so we were just kind of racing uh, in verse 3, is that you know sometimes if, you, if you're disobedient to the Lord or you're, you're sort of running away from what you should be doing, don't be surprised. This happens all the time in the Bible. Don't be surprised if you actually have apparent opportunities to do that. In fact, you might almost, if you were going to spiritualize it, say, well, hey, you know, the Lord, God just kind of put this in my path. And 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 because that's exactly what happens. It's it's actually really weird that Jonah the next day finds a ship to Tarshish, even though that's what he intended to do. That was not happening. Those ships are not going over to Spain every day. 
this is a this is a crazy voyage, and um, and and there there were re- reasons they would go. We know some of some of what the shipping lanes looked like, but it was a long journey. It was a it was a complicated journey, and and they didn't take him very often. And and it just so happens Jonah gets this idea in his head, and he goes down to Joppa, and he probably could have said, well, here it is. I mean, God's letting this happen, and if God hadn't set this up this way, you know that I wouldn't be able to do it, but, but he did, and I am. And so we can, we can read providences or read circumstances and place that reading of the circumstances above the reading of the Word of God. And again, we can do this in more subtle ways too. We might not think that we're being rebellious against God, but here are my circumstances. And so I'm kind of, this is just what I've got to do, or this is just, you know, these are just the people I'm around. It's just what, what you do in these circumstances. And and one of the things that we have to see in Jonah 1.3 is that, no, 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 reading of your circumstances and even reading of your opportunities and reading of, uh, that that does not trump, it can never trump God's word. Um, you, you, may, you may think everything lines up circumstantially for you to do something, but if it's against something God has said, then that, that, that is not, th- those are not equal kinds of information to draw upon. Um, and, but Jonah anyway does, and he thinks, and this is the other kind of irony of verse 3, and we're going to see this irony played out in the chapter. He, he thinks he's leaving the presence of the Lord in so doing. And again, this is crazy because Jonah knew that, and, and actually we're going to see in this chapter, that Jonah, one of the things that Jonah says once he's really pushed into a corner, he says, I, I fear Yahweh who made the sea and who made all the dry land. And you say, yeah, that's right, Jonah, like, don't, that's, that's who God is. And yet here in verse 3, he's sort of in his mind thinking, I'm getting away from the Lord. But, but he knows that's not true. And, and this is another thing that I think verse 3 kind of pushes us towards by way of application. It's not just that circumstances or your read on the circumstances can never trump the word of God, even if they're amazing, remarkable, unusual circumstances, never trumps the word of God. Um, but, but also, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a window into the kind of insanity that, that sin represents. Because Jonah knows, I mean, if you had asked him, or even if you had listened to him, Jonah knows that um, who God is. He knows that he actually can't escape from the Lord's hand. But, you know, he was he was well taught, well catechized. He, he knows those right answers. But, but, you know, in that moment where he's sinning against the Lord, it all goes out the window. And he somehow thinks, well, that doesn't apply to this situation. I'm actually going to escape from the Lord. And look, the opportunity is right there. All right. So that takes us then to verse 4. When we see uh, what how Jonah, how this plays out, what the Lord does. And I, and I want you to kind of track something as we go through this chapter. I want you to, to track Jonah and what, and what he does at, in response to the sailors and what they do. Because um, like today, I suppose, 
I, I think this is true um, as, a, as a kind of broad brush strokes, you know, thing. Um, these these merchant sailors are, are they're not they don't have a reputation for great personal piety and godliness, and 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 also and also they so so just in general the culture of. Say, being a sailor and jumping from port to port is not a particularly virtuous one. But then also, you, you, you add on to that, these aren't, um, these aren't even Israelites. These, 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 these men have no, no upbringing in, in the things of the Lord. They don't even know the Lord at all. So, so, so these are, they've grown up in paganism. They ended up, as kind of sailors bouncing around from one port to the next, doing what sailors do. And so you would think, I mean, if you were going to say, who should really, you know, who would you trust or who would you look to as an example of godliness? You'd say, well, it's not them. Uh, you wouldn't look to them. And, 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 and in contrast, you would say, well, well, who should I look to as an example of godliness? Well, well how about Jonah? who's actually been set apart and ordained as a prophet of the Lord. We, we, we talked last week about how he, his name pops up in one other case in, in uh, the reign of Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom. And Jonah has the, I guess, the privilege or the opportunity to give Jeroboam II really good news, which is Jeroboam II, you're a wicked king, but he, Jonah doesn't even say that, but... but he is a wicked king. Jonah just says, the Lord has decided to expand your territory. And so go to war and the Lord is going to actually bless that. And so it's, it's a really, so this is Jonah's vocation. It's his occupation. He is set apart by the people for the service of the Lord. He's hearing directly from the Lord. He's had the opportunity to preach to the king. The king's listened it's brought all kinds of good blessing. So, so again, you're looking at this and you're saying, if I had a spiritual question, if I was trying to emulate someone or grow in my spiritual life, would I go to the sailors? No. Actually, what you'd do is you'd stay away from the sailors. But who would you think to go to? Oh, I'm going to go to the minister. I'm going to go to this prophet. I'm going to go to Jonah. And, but track how they each respond to these providential circumstances. Here's what happens. The Lord Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea. This is verse 4 of Jonah 1. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. So you get the picture. It's probably hard for us to picture it, actually. Um, I saw a thing, um, I think it was last night, about a plane that was a plane that not a boat but a plane that was leaving Scotland to come to uh, JFK Airport and um, and the wing caught on fire and uh, they were able to land it safely but you know imagine that they have all these cell phone videos because you know people are like you you always looking out the window and it feels like the wing is maybe shaking a little too much or it's a little too loud or whatever but this is actually caught on fire so people are filming it. As, as they go down. But imagine that, you know, for hours and hours and hours, that's really the equivalent here. That the, it looks like the boat's breaking apart. This is a terrible storm. And it's clear that the Lord is in control of all of it. We would know that anyway, but 
but the text goes out of its way to say that. So this is the Lord. The Lord throws this great tempest at them. Yahweh throws this tempest at them so that the ship was about to break up. The mariners were afraid. And what do the mariners do? So the mariners, the sailors, we're tracking with how they each respond. They, they fear. They fear. And then what do they do next? They pray. Now, they're not praying to the Lord. They don't know the Lord. But they have been taught about these other gods that they, you know, somewhat served. And so, and so they fear and they pray. Um, each cried out to his own God. And then, and then what do they do? And, and the order is kind of interesting, actually. They, because you know how um, we, we have this reputation, and if we look at ourselves, it's a well-deserved reputation that we, we kind of reserve prayer for sort of the last resort. You, know, you do everything. You try to fix it your own way. You try to manipulate the circumstances and get it all figured out. And then I'm out of ideas. Oh, maybe, maybe I'll ask the Lord to help. Um, but they actually don't. They, they, they're afraid. They're terrified. That's a natural response. Then they pray. And then after they pray, so this is not the last response for them. This is actually their first response. They, they go to their gods, and then they act. Um, they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So they act, and they act in such a way. Think about this for a minute. Why do you make the... I would not want to make the trip, actually, from Joppa to Tarshish in a, in a, in a boat like this. Um, if you've seen these boats, you wouldn't want to eat to do it either. You wouldn't want to go anywhere in one of these boats, even if it was on a lake, but you much less across the whole Mediterranean. They're going, and, um, and, and but they're going for one reason, right? And the one reason they're going is because they, they're going to make some money on it. That's the plan. They, they hope to make some money taking all the cargo from one end of the Mediterranean to the other end of the Mediterranean. But what do they do next? They throw off all the cargo. So they, they, every, the whole point of the trip was to have this cargo that you sell at the other side. They, they fear. They pray. They actually make a fairly costly sacrifice. Um, and, and, and it's to save, save the ship, save the passengers. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. Um, Jonah's one of their passengers. Maybe, we don't know. Maybe he's the only one who, who jumped on board this ship. We don't know. But he, at least Jonah's there. So, in a sense, what they're doing is they're throwing their cargo overboard. The only reason for the, for the travel, they're throwing that overboard in order to hopefully have a shot at saving Jonah and the others, and themselves, I mean, certainly themselves as well. But they're, they're, they're willing to cast all that aside on his behalf. And, and so we're going to kind of juxtapose that with how Jonah responds. Um, what about Jonah? Jonah, this is verse middle of verse 5, there's this new sentence. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Now this is just bizarre, actually, that Jonah was sleeping through this. Um, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't really even make sense that that Jonah would be able to sleep through this this storm that's pulling the ship apart. But but it's it's a kind of 
it's a kind of window into who Jonah is. He's, he's misinterpreting circumstances in such a way to, to sin and to think in a, in a crazy way about the Lord. But then when there's this actual like, you know, slap in the face, storm happening right now, you're going to die. He doesn't even he doesn't even notice it. And again, it shows you how twisted Jonah's thinking has become. So while they're afraid and they're praying and they're throwing stuff overboard to save the passengers, Jonah is simply he just went down. He, he's, he's doing none of that. He's actually just sleeping. Um, and, you know, it's not, it's not incidental because there is, a, there is a sense in which we're only six, seven verses in, but there's a sense in which you say, yeah, this is, this is who Jonah is. Um, he, he's going to take every opportunity to try to escape what the Word of God says. And even when it sort of hits him in the face. And you know, you, 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 we've all... We've all We've all done this in some way, but we've all also seen this played out where, you know, you, you have someone in your life and they've heard, they've heard the gospel, they, they know the truth, maybe they grew up in the church, you know, something like that. And, and so it's, it's, it's been made clear to them, and yet, no matter what happens, they're going to refuse to see what, you know, like the Lord's given them opportunity after opportunity. Some good things have happened. They've misinterpreted those and and used them as opportunities to go further away. Some terrible things have happened, and they just, you know, they're asleep to the whole thing. And that that's that's exactly what Jonah's uh, exemplifying here. The Lord allowed a sort of what Jonah wanted to happen. It wasn't good, but what Jonah wanted, there's a boat. You can you can get on it, and he does. And then and then this terrible thing happens, and Jonah still doesn't want to serve the Lord. Yeah, go ahead. So I feel like I've heard several things this morning about reading providence. Yeah, it seems like we've got a case here where Jonah really should have read providence. The signs of providence are really clear, and he's culpable for not doing it. So could you talk about right and wrong ways of reading providence? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think. The, the difference in, in the first case and the second case, you're right. I mean, the storm, even the pagans knew it meant something, and they knew something had to be done. Um, yeah, well, but we're, and we're going to see Jonah does too, but the issue, the issue is reading Providence with your Bible open. I mean, reading Providence with, with an understanding of the Word of God in hand. And so, yeah, it's not, it's not that it's, Wrong to look at the circumstances and say, what should I learn from this? Or what lessons do I take away? Or what opportunities are there? That's not wrong. In fact, that's necessary. And Jonah's going to need to do that, although he does it wrong again. But that's not bad. We should all do that. You, you, you say to yourself, you know what? In God's providence, um, this, is the, this is the job that's open to me. And yeah, I'm going I'm to move into that. Or in God's providence, here's how... Here, here are the gifts that I, I have, and so I'm going to pursue those gifts and try to try to utilize it, or whatever it might be. That's not a bad, bad thing at all. But, but, but providence, if you close God's word, or worse, providence, if you're putting it, if your read of it is above God's word, so that you say, 
this means I don't have to obey that. That's where Jonah goes wrong. So God is certainly giving Jonah lots of providential circumstances to interpret. The problem with Jonah is he's interpreting them in a way that is antithetical to, or at least in this case, sort of forgetting about the word of God. And so, yeah, we're faced with all kinds of circumstances. And in, in many of them, most of them probably, most decisions we make, there's not a clear sort of thus saith the Lord, we're navigating through providences. But the point is, you've got to have your mind conform to the word of God to be able to, to, to do that well and wisely. And, and in no circumstance is an opportunity or a relationship or, you know, anything a, an excuse to not do what the Word of God says. That's never an option. Does that make sense? That distinction makes sense? It's a great point. Um, you could almost, if you were sort of preaching this or, 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 or even teaching, you, you really could teach it under the broad umbrella of, you know, how to interpret providence or how not to interpret providence. And Jonah's problem is the word of God rests lightly on him. And, and again, that is a huge problem with us today. The word of God rests very lightly upon us. You know, in Isaiah 66, and we just came out of Isaiah, so maybe it's fresh in your mind. To this one I will look, to the one who is humble and contrite of heart and who trembles at my word. And, and whenever I read that, I think to myself, I'm not even sure I know anyone who fits that description. And there's a sense in which that's the point. It's, it's somewhat Christological. But, but it's not just Christological. It's meant to be, a, uh, it's meant to be a, a genuine teaching for us. And you say, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I know people who sometimes have trembled at the Word of God. Um, I know people who, well, so maybe, you know, but, but it's not a common trait, even in the church. And the Word of God rests very lightly on Jonah, even though he should have been the exemplar. Following up on that, yeah, is it too much to read, uh, maybe this is reading a little bit too much into it, but the fact that he's asleep, rather than, like you'd expect maybe his conscience is troubling him, I know. or I know. he's just perfectly content and at peace, right? Just I know. No, exact, it's exactly right. And and there's some there's, there's a little psychological application we can draw from this, because You've probably met people. It's very scary. And, and if you ever see this in yourself, you should be honestly terrified. But you meet people and they, they, they know that what they're doing isn't in accord with the Word of God. But it just doesn't really bother them. It, 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 it doesn't matter to them. Their conscience is that seared. And, and if you ever diagnose that in yourself where you say, you know, actually gotten to the point where I don't, it doesn't feel, I don't care. Um, that's a horrible, that's a horrible and desperate spiritual condition to be in. So you're right. I think it is almost like his conscience doesn't, it's not like he's going tormented in conscience. Oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is terrible. I don't know, you know, what's going to happen. No, he's, he's fine with it. He's going directly opposite to what the Lord said. And he's, he's fine with it. Totally at peace. Um, all right, so Jonah's asleep, and they're trying to pray and do everything they can to save him. He's not doing anything to help anybody. Um, the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, 
call out to your God. Now, it's interesting because the, the phrase that this guy says is actually, it's not the exact same phrase, but it's a similar phrase. It's one the Lord uses with his people, um, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And, you know, you know there, there are these texts where the Lord rebukes Israel, or where the, these are quoted as well in the New Testament with respect to the church. Awake, O oh sleeper. You know, wake up. Look at what's going on. And in a, in a, in a kind of peculiar way, um, it's the captain of the ship who is, who is trying to wake up the prophet of God. The Lord's using this pagan captain to say, Jonah, wake up. Don't you see what's happening? And, and again, the captain, I'm sure, doesn't understand it at, at a spiritual level necessarily. Although, um, he's, they're going to start asking him a lot of questions uh, to try to get to the bottom of, like, who are you and what have you done? And shouldn't you be able to help us with this? Arise. Pray. And that's what he's saying. Jonah, it, at the very least, even if you can't help us, even if you're not a sailor, could you at least get up and pray for us? Call out to your God? And perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So not only is, is their first instinct to pray, but they want to make they want to gather everybody and and tell them to pray as well. And, 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 and the fact that Jonah has to be told to pray by a sailor who doesn't even know the Lord is, you know, is really is really a striking thing. You know, it's um, maybe you've had this circumstance if, if you're in a group of people that know you're a Christian, and it's kind of uncomfortable because they'll say, "Well, you, you know, you really shouldn't be here," or "You're, you're not. Shouldn't you be handling this? Shouldn't you be praying in this situation? Shouldn't you be doing something like you're not one of us?" Um, and, and, and you need to be doing something. And in a sense, the sailors saying, at least be like one of us, at least be as pious as we are as sailors. At, at least you should be praying. And, and Jonah doesn't. I mean, that's the crazy part. He does wake up because he doesn't really have a choice, but he doesn't, doesn't, text doesn't tell us he gets up and prays like they did. Even like a kind of quick Lord save us. He doesn't do any of that. So then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So th then they're going to cast lots, and it's not that, you know, it's not that this is some infallible or godly thing, but they're, they're actually trying, uh, here's what I'll say about them. They're trying to exercise some kind of spiritual discernment. Now, the Lord actually works through it even though he wouldn't have had to. Uh, there's, no, there's no biblical promise about casting lots, that you know, pagans can cast lots and whatever it comes up with is going to be you know, the, the, the good and godly and biblical answer. That's not promised anywhere in the scriptures. But, 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 but they're at least trying to exercise spiritual discernment. They're, they're what we might say, they're asking spiritual questions. They face the crisis in their life. And again, your life, I'm telling you, there are people in your life who are in this place. Um, or if there aren't, you'll encounter people who are in this place. Something's happened. Um, they have no answers for it. They, um, they don't know what to do. 
but it is causing them to ask spiritual questions. Now, that's dangerous because spiritual questions can lead you in all kinds of crazy directions. There's a, there's a heresy on every corner. There's, a, there's false teaching everywhere. If you are Googling you know, spiritual help, you, you, you know, you're unlikely to get anything good from that. But So it can be a little bit dangerous. But you have to say, spirit, they're looking for spiritual answers. Te- so I'm going to put that in parentheses under casting lots. They're, they're trying to, I'll say, ask spiritual questions, or maybe a better way to put it would be more accurately, you know, they're looking for answers, and they're looking for spiritual answers, and, and they don't know how to really do that, but they're, they're still trying, and God's going to actually, as, as, as he so often does in people's lives, when they're genuinely looking for spiritual help, even if they're just totally out there in left field, when they're genuinely looking for spiritual help, very often the Lord will, will choose in His mercy to, to confront them with the truth at that moment. And uh, that's a gracious thing, and He does it here. Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, and again, in the spirit, I believe, of genuine looking for spiritual answers, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. And then they ask him another question. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? I mean, they're asking him like the perfect questions. You know, it's the perfect evangelistic opportunity. First of all, tell us who's in control of the wind and the waves, Jonah. Um, that should have been an easy answer. And then Jonah, remind us again, what is it that you do for a living? What is it that you were set apart to do? And then, and then what nation have you come from? Um, where is your country? What's, what's the name of your country again? You know, any one of those questions, any one of them would have been the perfect lead in for Jonah to say, um, to, to give an entirely clear and gracious gospel explanation for their spiritual, the spiritual answer to the questions that they had. Uh, even just the country one. I mean, how often in the Bible does God say, you know, this is, this is what I'm doing for you in this land. Here's how I brought you out of Egypt, into this land. I mean, even just their geographical journey is like a, is, is, is an opportunity for gospel proclamation. Certainly Jonah's occupation, well, you know, actually I'm a prophet. Oh, you're a prophet. Okay, now do do your thing. Be be a voice for God. Um, or and then of course the first question is the most obvious um, and the clearest opportunity for Jonah to speak. And so he 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 answers their questions reluctantly. And he says, "I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, um, the God of heaven." And well, not not really. You don't, but. You check off that box. I mean, that's really that's really what he's doing. He's reluctantly saying, "Wait, aren't you a Christian?" Yeah, I guess I am. Um, I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's that's a good answer. The men were now exceedingly afraid. Um, they're doubling down on fear. Pa- parenthesis on this. 
when Jesus is, um, is on the boat with his disciples and a storm comes in and they wake him up and he says, he, he just commands the, the wind and the waves to, to cease. What's interesting about that story, you know the story, I'm sure. What's interesting about that story is typically we will use that story as a kind of, you know, Jesus can calm the waves of your life. That's kind of the answer, you know, don't, don't worry. He's in control, he's God, and he can do all this. And, and there's something to that. But the interesting thing is the disciples, if you read the next verse, which is always a good um, clue as to what maybe he's trying to say. Um, if you read the next verse, it says, and they, they were terrified. So when they, re- that, like they, were, they were scared of the storm, but what they really, what really terrified them deep in their core was when they realized that Jesus was God. Jesus had the power over the wind and the waves. And they say, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And, and, and again, that's a good thing. I mean, it should be, that should, that should create all kinds of questions. Like, we cannot go to sleep until we figure this out. And that's what happens here. Jonah wakes up and says, you know, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh. Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. He created the sea. Um, and and then, they're, then they're really scared. And they said, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh because he told them. So now we find out something really interesting. That when Jonah gets on the boat and they say, well, well we kind of saw it back in um, verse 3. Although we didn't know that he told them at the time. We knew what he was thinking. Because in verse 3 it told us that when Jonah got on the boat, he said, God, I'm going from the presence of, the, of Yahweh. And apparently he said that to them as well. Only he didn't really tell them who Yahweh was. So when they heard that back in verse 3... They probably thought, oh, okay, there's some local regional God that, you know, he fears and he's trying to get away from him. That's kind of how it worked. Um, but, but now it comes out because Jonah actually is forced to tell them, oh, oh, by the way, when I said I was leaving Yahweh, you've got to understand Yahweh is the creator of everything. Well, then what are you, what are you the stupid? You can't. Flee the creator of everything, Jonah. What have you, what have you done? Um, we thought you were just speaking pagan language and you were just adding another god to one that we hadn't heard of before. But now you tell us he's the creator of everything? So they're terrified in a good way. Um, and then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, that might seem at first glance a little bit of a, um, you know, kind of a humble thing on Jonah's part. Like, I'll sacrifice myself to for you. And it's hard to read all the motivation in um, in the context of dialogue like this. But, but... I will say that, and it turns out, that, of course, when they throw him over, that it does calm down. So, so and again, you know, motivation's hard to discern here because Jonah is actually right. But again, what's interesting is 
here's what Jonah doesn't do. What Jonah doesn't do is he doesn't say, you know, I need to repent. Um, I, I, I need to actually, I need to obey the Lord and, and repent of my sin and, and cry out to him for mercy and get back on the right track. He doesn't do that. He's still, so, so in a sense, he is sacrificing himself for them. There's something a little bit noble about that. But, but what he's not doing is, if you go back to verses 1 and 2, he's still not going to Nineveh. He's been kind of forced into sacrificing himself for pagan people, for his enemies. But he is not going to willingly still go and preach to his enemies. And this kind of introduces and lets us in on one of the big picture questions of Jonah. Because Jonah's a peculiar, peculiar book, isn't it? It's not like the other minor prophets. The other minor prophets are mainly sermons that are kind of connected together and as, as these prophetic statements. Jonah's not really that. In fact, Jonah preaches, but it's like four Hebrew words. It's, it's really short sermon, and it's pretty ambiguous, actually. Um, and it comes later. But... But it's a, it's a biography of Jonah in some respects. It's biographical. It's not, it's not um, his, his, his words. So it's a weird thing, but, um, but one of the themes of it, and one of the things that I think you're forced to question in your mind is, um, why, what is Jonah's problem here? And, and, and we see it at the end, and so I don't want to jump ahead too far, but... But one of the things that's clear is, unless he is absolutely forced into it, which he kind of is here, he does not want to live to see a day where God gives blessing to his enemies, to Jonah's enemies, uh, to, to the people he, he, he hates and uses. I mean, you look at how his attitude toward these sailors, he's, he's essentially using them he doesn't really care. He's asleep while they're up praying and throwing all their cargo overboard. He didn't care about that. He didn't take any action. He didn't take any initiative to help them. The question is, you know, what are are you are you? It's a question for us. Are you? Um, do you want to live and see a day when God shows mercy on people who are His enemies and your enemies? And, and Jonah does not. In fact, as you know, because you've probably read through the book, and it's a short little book. If you haven't read through it, just read through it this afternoon. It'll be really short. But, you know, at the end, Jonah says, when God does show mercy, he says, just kill me. I, I, don't, I don't even want to see this. And even here, while there may be a kind of thin veneer of trying to help them, the reality is, Jonah says, he, he, he's willing to help them, but... He doesn't really want to be alive to see it. And, 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 and he's still not going to obey God's word. Um, so, so it can seem like Jonah does a, a noble thing, but, but he's, he's doing what he does in chapter 4, which is, okay, fine, Lord, you save them, but I don't want to see it. Just, just throw me overboard, kill me. So, interestingly enough, they don't want to do that. And they work really hard to save him. He's not working to save them. He didn't care about them. They're trying to go back to dry land, but they can't 
And so then they pray to the Lord. They pray to Yahweh. Yahweh, don't let us perish for this man's life. We would love to save him. We do not want him to die. Um, please forgive us for that. Again, total opposite of Jonah's thing. Um, Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It's amazing, isn't it? So again, you know, we're listing out what these sailors do. I know we're basically out of time, but we're listing out what these sailors do. What do these sailors do? They work, they do everything they can to save Jonah, even though he's doing nothing for them. They, they then, when they realize they have no choice, they pray for mercy from the Lord. Their other gods are out of the picture at this point. They, like, they change teams. They're, they're converted. They're, they're, they're worshiping the Lord. And, and they're praying to the Lord now. No more prayer to other gods. We just pray to Yahweh. He created everything. And so then, then when they have to do it, they worship the Lord. When, 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 the, when the sea dies down, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They're like, you know, new converts. They love the Lord. They fear the Lord. If they had a Bible dropped on them, they would be like, what, what does it say? We got to do it. And they offer a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to the Lord. Like, Lord, we're promising. We're, we're following you the rest of our lives. Everything we do from here on out is for you. It's amazing. And Jonah does all the wrong things. And the Lord still shows mercy on these men and, and converts them uh, through his work. And we'll pick up on the implications of this day. I went over time. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the day. You are gracious and kind to us. And uh, what, a, what a good reminder this is. It's, it's, it's just a supernatural thing. that You've taken us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your dear son forgiven us of our sins, enable us to worship you. As we do that in this next hour, please find our worship to you, our one and only true God, the creator of all things. May that worship be acceptable in your sight through Christ. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.